Amen, amen, amen. Hey, welcome to Victory Church. It's so good to have you. What Maybe Victory's at home for you today. Maybe we're in your living room. Maybe we're on your phones, but I just want to say welcome. As I said just a couple of minutes ago, we're already in the month of December, and I know that that seems a little crazy, a little wild, but I know that God has such a plan as he has had for this year, I believe he has such a great plan for this month, and I'm going to continue to announce a lot of great things happening uh, in and through our church this month, from outreach opportunities to service uh, opportunities, just so many great things. But I, but I do want to take a moment, and I want to real quick, pay attention for me, I want to announce two big announcements this morning, two very exciting things. Uh, the first thing is this. If you're watching, if you, maybe if you have been watching, you know we have been promoting what we call our Purpose Prevails end of the year offering. And what we do is we really encourage our church body, we've been doing this since we opened the church, that at the end of the year, you would gather with your family and you would pray and you would do a couple of things. You would look back on the year that has been and you would look for God's faithfulness. And then you would turn around and thank God for that faithfulness. And one of the ways we would do that is we would encourage you to pray about an amount that God would have you give as an end of the year offering towards his kingdom, um, and, and that day is today. And so again, if you've been a part of our church, that's kind of a familiar thing for you. If you've joined our church over the past eight or nine months since we've been online only, this might be new to you. And so what we've been saying over the past couple of weeks is, hey, you just pray about it. We never, uh, we never tried to talk you into anything. The Bible actually says that you should give, give from a cheerful heart and give an amount that you have uh, decided in your heart in advance. And so we've been asking you for weeks now, hey, pray about it. And if God moves on your heart and says, hey, I want you to give at the end of the year offering, then you pray about that amount and you do that. And so we have kind of picked today, December 6th, as the day for us as a church to come along and give. And so in case you're wondering, you can give throughout the rest of the month, of course, but this was just kind of the day that we set aside to come together unified. Normally, when we're meeting here in person, people will gather towards the altar and give at one time, and it's, it's a real powerful experience. And I know that we don't get to have that this year, but I believe we're gonna be able to really celebrate God's faithfulness even in a season like this season. And so, again, if you're watching and you wanna participate in our Purpose Prevails offering, uh, one of the ways you can do that is visit our website and there will be a giving tab that when you click, it'll say Purpose Prevails so that you can give directly towards that offering. And so we will be able to know uh, that you stepped out in faith and gave to that. And then we also take 100% of those funds and we turn around and put them right back into our community with events and outreaches. We use it so that people can come to know Jesus. We use it so that we can impact other people. And so hopefully Darla and I, we have prayed and we have written our check and we are giving it today as well. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. Team up with us and give during our Purpose Prevails offering. Second announcement, which is really awesome, and it's actually a brand new announcement that some of you have never even heard before, and that is that our worship team, Victory Worship, have recorded their first album. Come on, come on. Do a little, yeah. Give a little excitement for a moment. Victory Worship is dropping their first album, and here's, what's, here's how it's going. The album is called The Journey. How fitting is that, that, that through this process and what God's taken us through in this year, I think we all could label it not only as a year of shift, but a year of the journey as we're all learning more about Jesus and more about ourselves. And so this album is called The Journey, and it's very unique how they're doing it. They're dropping a single 
every week. Uh, so the, so the, a couple days ago, Friday night or Friday, we dropped the first single and they're doing it with music videos that kind of create the story as you follow the videos they continue. It's so powerful. And so if you haven't seen it already, you might have seen it on our Facebook page or promoted throughout social media. Go and watch the music video and then do me a favor, right? Matter of fact, you can do this right now. Grab your phone, go to Spotify, iTunes Music, Amazon Music, however it is that you listen to music and search Victory Worship. The first single is called Take Me Over and go look at it, find it, download it, and then share it. Let's get the word out. You know how anointed our worship team is. When you watch these videos and you hear these songs, you're going to be blown away by how God is using this team. And I just think it's so amazing that in a season like this, where we can't even gather as a church, God is using the faithful people of our church to take a voice, a message, and put it amongst so many people that need to hear it. So go download it, go share it. Let's tell everybody about it. Amen? Let me hear it. Amen? All right, all right. You ready for the word? Again, two big announcements. Get involved in Purpose Prevails. Get involved with our new album. We are in continuing to be in our series, The Journey. Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of John chapter 8. We finished John chapter 7 last week. And what's happening with this series is we, we kind of started with this concept of we're just going to take the book of John and read it verse by verse. And we're going to, to ask for revelation as to who Jesus is. We want kind of some new revelation, some fresh revelation as to who Jesus is. And so we started with John chapter 1, verse 1. And we've been going through it and we've committed to it to take as long as it's going to take to get through it so that we can really build ourselves up. Uh, in, in the knowledge of who Jesus is. So John chapter 8, verse 1. I've asked you to do two things, and that is get a paper Bible so that you can highlight, underline, and take notes in, and as, far, as much as a journal, again, so that you can just write down the things that you're learning. We've learned so much already from uh, Jesus being the new normal to Jesus uh, being the resurrection to Jesus being the light of the world. We, we've learned so many different things that we can not only use down the road, but we could turn around and use it to teach and disciple people and encourage people. So I'm asking you to do that with me. All right. Amen. You ready? Here we go. John chapter eight, verse one. I will read all the way to verse 11, and then we will get into the word today. Verse one starts like this. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all of the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So Jesus is outside of the temple in the temple courts, and he's sitting down, and all these people are surrounding him so that he can teach them about God. And it says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman that was caught in adultery. And so in the middle of him teaching, they bring in this woman that had been caught in adultery. And the Bible says that they made her stand before the group. And then they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And according to the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him, Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The, olders, the older ones went first, only until Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. It's powerful, 11 verses and a powerful story. And I want to talk to you just for a moment from the subject, the cancel culture. The cancel culture. This is a label that we are very familiar with in 2020. We are probably way more familiar with it over the past couple of months. Social media has certainly made us more aware of it. I wanted to kind of, in case somebody's watching and you are not familiar with it, you've never heard of the reference, I wanted to explain to you kind of what the concept is. So, so the cancel culture is a newer label, and it's described like this, a popular practice of withdrawing your support for someone after they have done or said something that was considered objectionable or offensive, okay? So in other words, whether it be an individual or a business or a movement, when they do something that, that you might find offensive or questionable or objectionable, if you were to remove your support from them, then according to our culture, you canceled them. And, and we have created now what is the cancel culture is what they're calling it. Now, now here's what's interesting is that the cancel concept or the cancel culture is not a new concept. You can see by John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, that the cancel culture was very active even in Jesus' day. But now, because of social media and other things, it's been amplified, and the only thing that's really changed with our culture is we've given it a label. We've given it a name. What you just read in John chapter 8 was a canceling culture. But we didn't have that name back then, so it wasn't called that. But thanks to the craziest year ever for us that I've experienced, now we've actually given a name to that concept, so we've amplified it and we've labeled it. And if we could go back in time, we would have said, man, they canceled her. I kind of went deeper in my thinking with this, and I thought, you know what, it's funny, because if you were to take the amplified cancel culture of today and go back to Jesus' day, we would have canceled every one of the disciples, right? Think about this, all right? The concept was you removing your support from someone because they did something that was offensive or questionable or objectionable. Let's talk about Peter for a second. Let's talk about that time that Jesus was talking about what he was going to do and Peter got in front of him and said, this is not what you're going to do. And then Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Right? We would have canceled him right then. Let's talk about the time that Peter's in the garden with Jesus and the soldiers come to try to arrest Jesus and Peter pulls out a sword and cuts the guy's ear off. Right? We would have canceled him there. Let's talk about the time that Jesus has been arrested and they're getting ready to crucify him and they catch Peter outside and they say, hey, Peter, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter denies Jesus three times. We would have canceled him, right? I can't believe you. You're, you're out of here, Peter. We would have canceled Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Everybody hated tax collectors except for tax collectors, we would have canceled Matthew immediately. As soon as Jesus said, hey, here's one of my boys. His name's Matthew. He used to be a tax collector. We would have said, no, he wasn't. We would have canceled him right then. Here's my favorite example. The Apostle Paul. That guy's getting canceled immediately. 
right? Because he used to literally observe the persecution of Christians. So can't you imagine Paul coming on the scene and he's like, guys, I just got saved. I'm a Jesus freak, right? Let's go chase Jesus. And somebody been like, excuse me, Paul, I've got a tweet that you tweeted when you were Saul and you were persecuting all the Christians and that's uncalled for, so we're gonna cancel you. Am I right? Like, I, I get it. I know this is a little strange, but I'm just telling you. Here's the way I summed it up in my mind. If we would have canceled the first century Christians for things that they did that were questionable or offensive, we wouldn't have had an early church. Am I right? If we would have just said, hey, you know what? Cancel them. Then what we know today as church probably wouldn't even be around. However, you and I live in a culture today and we are raising our kids in a culture today that would rather choose canceling over counseling. And this bothers me. I don't know that I've had more of a message as Jeremiah would say. It's like fire shot up in my bones because I'm watching a culture that would rather cancel an individual than counsel them. And let me say something really clear. I don't expect unsaved people to choose counseling over canceling because they don't know Christ. Where I get bothered is when people who are Christ followers, who are Christians, would rather choose canceling over counseling. That's where I get bothered. Let's look again at John chapter 8. We'll look at verses, we'll start at verse 3 right now, which says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, watch this, brought in a woman that was caught in adultery. And here's the line that I think so many people kind of skip over. They made her stand before the group. So, so not only are these gentlemen out to cancel her, but they want to bring her shame as well. Because they brought her, they caught her. Now, I'm going to try to keep it as PG as possible. But they bring her from the act, and they put her in front of this group of people. How, how embarrassing that must have been. How, how shameful that must have been, right? Their process is not only to cancel her, but it's to get, bring her shame as well. And the more that I study this cancel culture, the more I understand this, that when it comes to a cancel culture, you will watch that their actions reveal their agenda. When you study the canceling concept, their actions will always reveal their agenda. Let me explain. It is true that the law of Moses or, or the law that the, the Jewish law that people were following that day did in fact say that if you could catch a man and a woman in the act of adultery, then you could bring them to the temple courts to where they would be tried, and if they were convicted, then they could be stoned to death. It did say that. But what's interesting is that theologians say that it was almost never a time where someone was actually brought before, tried, and convicted for adultery. And here's why. Because adultery is a secret sin. It's a sin that often happens behind closed doors. It's a sin that involves often two people who are not in any uh, mindset of telling on each other, right? 
And so the, the concept or the, or the opportunity for somebody to be able to catch them was so rare. And watch this. In order for someone to be tried and convicted for adultery, you had to have clear evidence and you had to have multiple witnesses. How difficult would this have been? I think we can all use our imagination for a moment and, and know that there was never a moment where multiple people are in the room available to be witnesses, right? It's kind of awkward. And so because of that, it was very rare that anybody even brought the case to the temple because they knew that if they didn't have multiple witnesses, it was going to be a waste of their time. So it rarely happened. So watch this. Because of that, theologians who study John chapter 8 then turned around and said, in order for this to have happened, it must have been a setup. They had to set this woman up, meaning that the man involved in the situation was probably one of the friends of the religious leaders. And in order for them to know the location and the time and to be there to have all of the evidence to get her convicted means they must have set her up. How is it that we live in a culture that would rather catch someone to cancel them than counsel them to cure them? It's what happened in John 8. It's what's happening in November 2020, December 2020. That people would rather catch you to counsel you or to cancel you than put the same amount of energy in counseling you to cure you. People are out there trying to set other people up. I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to post this thing. I'm going to say this. Do that. Why? Because if I can catch them, I can cancel them. When meanwhile, the Christ-like spirit is not catch you to cancel you, it's counsel you to cure you. Here, here was the honest question I had. If these guys honestly cared about this woman, if they wanted her to stop sinning, if maybe they were really just passionate about the law, then, then, then why not go to Mary and Martha and be like, hey, girls, listen up. We got this one chick, and she is out there, all right? She's having a hard time. She's crazy. She's doing things she shouldn't be doing. What if y'all set up like a woman's Bible study, right? What if we went through a Beth Moore study, and you brought her in and set her down, and y'all could kind of be accountability partners for her? Why don't y'all buy her T.D. Jake's book, Woman Thou Art Loose, right? And let her be ministered to. Well, why don't we gather a whole group of people and why don't we go through Andy Stanley's book, Guardrails? Like, why don't we kind of step out and try to counsel her? Well, why don't we disciple her, right? Like, I don't see any of that in John 8. I don't see these men showing up going, Jesus, we got a problem. We had her over for bread. We tried to disciple her, but she hasn't changed, Right? There's no effort in counseling. All the energy is towards canceling. And when someone does something wrong, we are so ready to cancel them. Listen to me. We're so ready to cancel them that we do not give them the room to learn and grow. And that's, that's the problem with a cancel culture. Is that you and I 
and every individual are not allowed the opportunity to make a mistake. We're not allowed the opportunity to misunderstand. We're not allowed the opportunity to say something stupid and then learn from our mistake and grow to be a better woman and a better man and a better parent and a better friend and a better Christian and a better leader. And instead, there's just this concept that if you mess up, we should just cancel you. And listen to me. The problem with a religious reputation that speaks that if you mess up, you will get canceled, is that will not lead to people being better. It will lead to people trying to be better at hiding where they're failing. Because the fear of you canceling me doesn't challenge me to be better. It makes me concerned to where I need to hide where I'm weak. That's why Jesus was never out to cancel people. Jesus' goal was to never put some type of fear in you that if you ever made a mistake, you'd just be canceled. Because Jesus understood that the fear of cancel does not lead you to want to grow. It's the opportunity of counseling towards a cure that puts you in a position to get stronger, to get better, to grow. I recently got the opportunity to watch uh, the, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion. Has anybody seen that recently? You guys got a chance to see that? It's very good. If you know me, if you've been following our church for any amount of time, you know I'm a big Will Smith fan. I'm an even bigger Fresh Prince of Bel-Air fan. That is my show. And, and what's happened recently is they, they, this is like their 30-year anniversary. So it's been like 30 years since they started the show. And so Will Smith and a couple of the uh, actors got together and they did this reunion show. It's like an hour long. And they're sitting on chairs and couches and they're watching reruns and they're giving back behind the scenes testimonies. It's so good. I cried multiple times. And some of it's just because I'm a, a really crazy fan of Will Smith and some of it because it was touching moments. But it's such a powerful thing. And I'm sitting there watching it and I have to give a little bit of backstory to anybody who's not familiar with the story of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So the show started, and it's got Uncle Phil and Aunt Vivian and Carlton and Hillary and Ashley and all these people. And about, I don't know, the third or fourth season, I can't quite remember where, all of a sudden, the, 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 the actress who played Aunt Vivian changed. Like, like it was one woman, one season, and then when the next season started, it was a different woman. And they, you know, they didn't, they didn't pretend like she was playing a different character. They, it, they actually were, were kind of awkward a couple episodes where I think it was Jazz who was like, you look different these days. And Will just looks at the camera, you know, like, uh, something's up, right? But, but nobody really ever explained it. And, and if you followed it and you followed news, then maybe you've heard the backstories of, of all these different rumors of what happened. But, but if you're not into all of that, then you just kind of went along with it like I did. And you just watched it. It was great. You were watching it for Will Smith, not for Aunt Vivian anyway. And it was just a great show, and it's been a blessing. But Will Smith said, I, I can't go through with this reunion without addressing this situation. Because some of the rumors were that Will Smith had canceled that lady. 
So, so he brings her onto the show, and they have this real phenomenal time of kind of one-on-one talk, and, and there's this moment where they kind of get everything out in the open, and there's this healing moment, and they hug, and then he brings her onto the set, and she meets everybody or, or you know, connects with everybody. She meets the other Aunt Vivian for the first time, and it was just so powerful, and I'm on the couch, and I'm crying, you know? I'm like, oh, it's so beautiful, and I'm thinking, listen, if the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air can right his wrongs with the original Aunt Vivian, then surely our culture can arrive at a place where we are choosing not to cancel, but to counsel, right? If the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air can do it, Christians can do it. Seriously, guys, here's what happens, okay? So, 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 so Will Smith sits down with this lady, and they start talking, and this is so powerful. Will Smith says to her, I was 21 years old, I was young and I was dumb. He says, I was scared. He said, I was so insecure. I had all this fear. And she's listening and she's shaking her head. And she says this, watch. She says, she says, I had things going on in my life that none of you even knew about. She said, I had just had a baby. My finances were struggling. My husband didn't have a job and he was abusive. And we'll sit in there like, and she's saying, yeah, I know, I sh- yeah, you're 21, you're young, you're dumb. And he's like, I've, had, I've, I've been married and divorced and remarried. He said, I've had kids now. I, I, I think different. And she's like, yeah, and, and you never understood where I was coming from. And I'm like, come on, seriously, though. Listen to me. As human beings and as Christians, as Christ followers, as men and women, there has to be a point where we can just take out some time to hear people. Right? There has to be a moment where you can say, hey, I was 21, I was young and dumb. There has to be a moment where you can say, hey, let let me hear your perspective from the position you're in. Where did we get to the point to where we don't even want to listen to one another? When, When did we get so passionate to cancel each other that we can't even seem to relate as human beings. At what point do we realize that in order for there to actually be healing, for in order for us to actually make progress, in order for us to actually get somewhere, we need to sit down with one another and try to understand what you're going through. I didn't know your husband was abusive. I didn't know that you, your husband didn't have a job, you didn't have money. Maybe had I known that, I would have done something different. I I, I didn't think about the fact that you were 21. I didn't think about the fact that you were young young and dumb. I didn't think about the fact that you had millions of dollars at a young age and maybe you'd be insecure. I didn't think about that. How many people have you and I canceled that maybe we didn't quite understand what they were going through? Maybe we should have picked up a phone and said, hey, can I just hear your story? Like, Like what? What's your perspective from your position? Maybe I should hear that before I'm so quick to cancel. This this cancel culture denies the very heartbeat of Christianity, which is forgiveness. How did we become so passionate 
to see people fail that we no longer want to help them finish. John chapter 8 reveals something to me. I was talking to a friend before service and I said, I've wanted to preach on this subject for a while, but I never wanted to force it. And the second I begin to read John chapter 8, which I've read it a hundred times, but, but as I read it in our culture today, it's like it jumped off the page. And there's a verse that I want to read to you in a moment that takes us even deeper into the inner workings of a cancel culture. John chapter 8, verse 5 and 6 says this, In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say, Jesus? Watch this. They were using this question as a trap. Walk with me for a moment. These men don't care about this woman. They don't care that she's sinning. They don't care that she's breaking the law. They don't care about her at all. They simply see her as a tool because their agenda was to not get her canceled, but to try to cancel Jesus. So here's what they did. They said, if we can ask him this question, he can only answer it one of two ways. And Jesus knew this. And if Jesus says, do not stone her, then he is potentially disobeying the law of Moses and they can cancel him because of that. But if Jesus says, yes, stone her, then he's a jerk and they can cancel him because of that. And so they are literally using her as a tool for their agenda to be able to ultimately cancel Jesus. Is it possible that the cancel culture is really an agenda to try to ultimately cancel Jesus? Yes, it is. And the moment that Christians start to just fall along with it and choose canceling over counseling, there will come a time where those that are trying to cancel, you'll realize they're not out to cancel you because you can't do anything. It's not your blood that changes the world. It's Jesus's. But if they can allow the cancel culture to live, then they can eventually get to their agenda, which is ultimately to cancel Jesus. People will always choose canceling over counseling when canceling moves their agenda. Why would we be canceling people over counseling them? Why would we do that? Because it moves an agenda. I know a pastor who pastors multiple, he has multiple campuses. It's an incredibly large church. And he had planted a campus in a poverty-stricken area of, I'll just call it a town, city. And they had planted it in a school. And they were there for a couple of years. And they had given hundreds of thousands of dollars to this community. It's, it's, again, it's, it's a church campus of a church that's around 50,000 people. And so you can just imagine the money and the resource that they have. And so they go into this school, into this poverty-stricken town or area, and they are just giving hundreds of thousands of dollars to the school, to the community. And then a few months ago or so, the pastor liked a questionable tweet. He didn't tweet it. He liked it. Now, not saying it's wrong, not saying it's right. Matter of fact, the pastor came out later and said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it. That's not, my, that's not what I want to talk about. Here's my point. He liked the tweet, 
and there were some people that didn't like that he did that. They had an agenda. And so they moved forward with their cancel culture and they started causing all of this, you know, conversation and it got to the school and the school kicked the church out of the school. Watch where I'm going with this. In, in their mind, the agenda was the school. The agenda was the pastor, right? And they succeeded. They never once thought about the community. This church was giving hundreds of thousands of dollars to people that needed it for food, for school supplies, for whatever. So when this canceled culture came in, their concern was not the community, right? It was their agenda. And their agenda got the, the church kicked out. And guess what? Hundreds of thousands of dollars went with it. Because you, people will always choose canceling over counseling when canceling moves their agenda. So here's my question. For you and I, when it comes to canceling or counseling, here's what we have to decide. What is our agenda? If it's your personal agenda, then you're probably going to continue to cancel. If it's God's agenda, then hopefully this message, as awkward as it might be, will challenge you to sit back and never cancel again. Okay, so if you're, if you're taking notes, here we go. Every, every week I give you a Jesus is. One week I gave you a Jesus was. That was random. But, but, but I always give you a Jesus is. All right, Jesus is. You ready? Jesus is. Get ready to write in your journal. Jesus is the peacemaker. He's the peacemaker. Watch this. John chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. When they kept on questioning him, they keep on questioning Jesus. What are you going to do, Jesus? What are you going to do? He straightened up. And he said to them, all right, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then again, after he says that, he stoops down and he starts to write on the ground again. And it says, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus realizes that this is a lose-lose situation for him. Jesus knows if I say stoner, they're going to cancel me. If I say don't stoner, they're going to cancel me. So Jesus realizes there's only one thing that I can say that is going to allow God's agenda to move forward. And the only thing that Jesus can say, listen to me, is the only thing that you and I should be allowing to direct our decisions. The only thing Jesus could say is the only thing that you should live by from this point forward. And here's what he says. Let anybody who doesn't deserve to be canceled do the canceling. Let anybody who has no reason to be canceled step up and do the canceling. In other words, let me, let me bring it into our language today. Let the person who's never messed up who's never failed at anything, who's never said something stupid, who's never misunderstood something, who's never done anything they regret, who's never made a mistake, the person who has never sinned, be the person to cancel her. 
from this point forward, the only people who are allowed to cancel anybody are the people who cannot find a reason to be canceled themselves. I don't know about you, I have a lot of reasons to be canceled. I'm trying to do my best at creating less of those. But I'd be lying if I told you that I've never messed up. That I've never said something stupid. That I've never made a mistake. Right? Here's what I think is interesting. I've heard this preached a lot. And when people preach this, they preach it in a way, watch this, that, that implies that the men heard Jesus say that, had a change of heart, and then went, oh, Jesus, you know, you're right. Ah, shucks. Because I've sinned too. And so now I must leave. That, that's, that's, that's the image they give us. Is this incredible image of the cancel culture, being able to be told, hey, you can't cancel unless you can't be canceled. And they go, oh, shucks, you're right. That's not what happened. It's not why they walked away. In the law, the Jewish law, here's what it said. That in order for you to, to try, convict, and then stone a woman caught in adultery, you must have the woman and the man. You had to have them both. Because they're both equally in sin. So if you're going to bring them into this court, and you're going to try them, you're going to try to convict them, and you're going to try to kill them. You better kill them both. But remember what I told you about the man? The man is their friend. There's a reason they didn't bring him. That's their boy. Remember, they were just using him to set her up. So obviously, they're not going to bring him in. He's not going to give his life for this, right? Only one person has ever really given their life for anything right? <laughs> and so check this out. Jesus, knowing this, knowing the law, says, okay, you be the first one to throw the stone. And here's, here's what the guys understood. Because in the law, the person who was bringing the conviction had to be the one who threw the first stone. Other people could throw stones afterwards, as weird as that is, but the person who brought it before the court, they had to throw the first stone. So watch this. The guy understood. If I pick up this stone and I throw this first stone and the man is not here, then I've broken the law. And after they cancel her, they can legally cancel me. He did not throw it because he had this change of heart. He didn't throw it because he understood he was just as guilty as the one he was about to cancel. That's where the real transformation happens. Jesus exposed a common sin. And here's what it is. A desire to punish the sins of others while ignoring our own. I think that's what Jesus is still trying to communicate today. Why are we trying to punish people for their sins while ignoring our own? I have a friend 
He made a mistake. And we've been going counseling through together. And uh, he came to get me for lunch one day. And it was the first day that we had seen each other since his mistake had been brought up to surface or however you want to word that. And so he picked me up for lunch and we went to eat. And as we're talking, he says, uh, he says, man, when you opened your door, all I felt was shame. I said, what? Why? He was like, I just thought maybe, maybe you were going to look at me different now that you know what I've done. Church, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know if I wanted to laugh or cry. We were back in his car as we're driving, and I'm just trying to process this. Like, what do you mean look at you differently because you made a mistake? I can't process that. But everything in him was genuinely believing that. And he said this. He said, because I, I said to him, man, I don't look at you any different. I said, if anything, because you're talking about it and, and addressing it and asking the Holy Spirit to deal with it, if anything, I think you're a bigger man. And he said to me, <laughs> he said, how can you do that? I said, man, I'll be dead honest. I thought about it for a second. It was pretty quiet. I said, man, I don't know. I don't know. I said, but I'll tell you this. I think part of it is because I never take myself too seriously. Because I think it's really hard to cancel someone when you have a correct view of yourself. There's only one person that ever deserved to not be canceled. And he volunteered to be canceled so that those of us that do deserve it wouldn't have to be. And you want to ask me, why I won't cancel somebody? Because it's hard for me to cancel you when I have the correct view of me. See, the greatest thing about grace is that you never allow sin to condemn you. You never put yourself down but you never forget where grace brought you and you never put yourself up too high. And I think that's the tension that we're all dealing with because everybody who's watching is either putting themselves down or lifting themselves up. And some of you are lifting yourself up to hide the fact that you're putting yourself down. And whether you're here or here, you can't truly bring the grace of Christ and Jesus in counseling here. So at some point, you either have to remember who you were to bring you down here, 
or to realize who you are in him to bring you up here. And once we can get here, then there is no more canceling of people. There's only counseling because counseling says, I was there too. But because of the grace of Jesus, I'm just a couple of steps ahead. And I would much rather help you finish than see you fail. That's got to be, it's got to be the spirit of Christ followers. It's got to be, that's got to be moving forward. The spirit has to be, there's only ever been one that deserved to be canceled that wasn't. And because of him, I can't be canceled. And so I glorify him. And as long as somebody is willing to run to him with a repentant heart, I'm willing to pick them up and help them finish. Forget the cancel culture. We are about the council culture. But then here's what people will say. So you just letting people sin and get away with it? Are you seeker sensitive? Are you not going to address sin? Of course not. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we do what Jesus did. But what did Jesus do? Well, keep reading the story. Because after Jesus settles all of this with these religious folk and gets them out of the way, he then turns back to her. Look what it says in John chapter 8. Woman, where are they? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? Has this religious culture, this cancel culture not condemned you? She says, no one, sir. He says, then neither do I. But then watch this. Jesus declared, now go and leave your life of sin. Can I tell you what my Jesus does? My Jesus is a peacemaker publicly and he addresses sin personally. That's how we operate as Christians. Publicly, I'm making peace. But personally, one-on-one, I'm counseling. You got to stop that. I'm revealing it. I'm talking about it. We're addressing it. But we're walking it out together. What's your agenda? I want the same agenda that Christ had. I want to publicly make peace. And I want to personally counsel those that need help. So let me just for a moment talk to a couple of different people. Number one are those of you that have been canceled. And because you've been canceled, you're in this whirlwind. You don't really know how to even approach life. You don't know what to do. I'm telling you that there is a savior who volunteered himself to be canceled so that you wouldn't have to be. And I know that you might even think the world canceled you, but he actually 
prepared for that by letting you know in his word that the world hates him and it's gonna hate you. But if you'll cling to him, you cling to him, everything that the enemy meant for bad, he'll turn to good. And you experience eternal life with Jesus Christ. So whether you've been canceled by the church or whether you've been canceled by a Christian or whether you've just been canceled by a world that's living in a cancel culture, and now this is kind of eye-opening to you, I'm telling you that Jesus Christ never canceled you. And as we said last week, he lost so you could win. Second is to every person that is operating in the cancel culture. I know that 45 minutes with me might not change your heart, but I'm just asking that you would pray. That in a world that is being driven by social media, in a world that is so distant right now, and that the enemy is bringing division, you would ask yourself this, who have you canceled that God is calling you to counsel? That's your calling. To trust, to trustful men and women. God has called you to counsel. So from this point forward, make your agenda God's agenda to bring peace publicly, to address sin personally. And instead of canceling, let's begin counseling. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word that is so alive. It's so relevant. It doesn't even make sense how relevant it is. That's something that happened thousands of years ago. And the principles you put in place then are still the principles that we need today. And Lord, in a culture that's being obsessed with canceling each other, because there is an agenda that's honestly just trying to cancel you. And those of us that, fall, that call ourselves Christ followers, that we would not fall into that culture, but that we would stand up, speak up, and pick up those who've fallen. That we would recognize that we make mistakes too. And that we would start to live in grace, show mercy. That Father, some of those that we've canceled, we'd call today and say, hey, I'm sorry. And we'd put our arms around them and let them put their arms around us. And we'd start walking to be stronger followers of you, Jesus. Father, I know this is a timely word. And I just pray that it would have that Holy Spirit power behind it that I could never do. But that God, at least for us and for our church and for our families and for our culture and for those that we directly impact, we could start to shift from a cancel culture to a council culture. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.